You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So I am watching the last eight and a half minutes of this Bears game here. And uh, just soaking it in, man. Soaking it in another win. Six in a row for the Green Bay Packers. Looks like the Detroit Lions are about to lose this game. Um, unfortunately, I was rooting for them. I kind of just getting caught up to speed here. It looks like they were about to drive possibly to um, take the lead here. And Jared Goff threw an interception intended for TJ Hawkinson and intercepted by Jalen Ramsey. Minute left and um, looks like they're uh, the Rams are about in field goal position, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But, you know, anyways, I don't know why I'm explaining this. You, you already know what happened. I'm just talking, man. You know, I'm just talking. But the Green Bay Packers... Over the Washington football team, 24-10. to 10. I got to check to see if anybody had that score down. 34-9 said Marks. We got the defensive part pretty close. Um, 24-21 had the offensive part right. Brandon did, but said 21 points given up by the defense. Um, Killian said 31-10, so we got the 10 right. That's about it, though. Most people overestimating the offense a little bit. But anyways, the Green Bay Packers did go on to win. They beat the Washington football team 24-10. to Very happy with it. There were some people kind of upset. There's a whole bunch of people screaming that uh, that's never going to be good enough to beat Arizona. We'll be talking about Arizona. We're going to have to get started real soon because there's a quick turnaround to uh, that game. So probably starting probably tomorrow. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure out the timeline on that. But um Overall, I don't know how you can be too upset. I mean, the defense gave up 10 points. Any, any, I don't care who the opponent is. When you just give up 10 points, that's not something you can really be mad about um, for the defense. They went two full, full quarters without a single point. And um, considering where Washington was in the field position uh, for the offense and defense, that's pretty staggering. As for the offense getting 24, as I said on the stream, um, we can probably nitpick a couple things, but it's pretty clear that in the fourth quarter, um, on top of a couple fumbles from A.J. Dillon, one of them kind of kicked us right in the teeth. But even aside from that, it was pretty obvious that they were just kicking it into neutral and just running the ball. Um, this was not the same offense we saw for three quarters. And you can critique that and say, well, you should have done better and focused on getting more points. And it would have been nice to get another seven points and get it all the way up to, uh, you know, to th- in the 30s to at least feel somewhat competent about this 32nd ranked defense. But again, I mean, it's, it's, it's about win the game. And at the end of the day, their priority is drain the clock, get the W. And, um, you know, either way, we probably got the win, but why risk it? Why start flinging it around and risk getting into trouble? Which, granted, obviously not super low risk when A.J. Dillon fumbles the ball again. And that whole thing was kind of weird. I kind of talked about that on my stream yesterday, but um, he hardly got any time touching the ball, and I thought that was strange. I mean, granted, they didn't run the ball much, and so I guess when they did, they decided to just run with Aaron Jones, but... 
It was very weird. And then he comes out and um, he had one pretty good run. Um, but uh, I think he carried the ball three times. He had two fumbles and he had a dropped uh, pass, which, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to catch, but it was still kind of, I feel like he should have got that. So it was just a very off day. And again, the fact that they didn't play him, it just seemed almost like they knew something wasn't right mentally, or I don't know what the deal is, but uh, he ended up essentially getting pulled. And we tried to drain the clock with a terrible run blocking offensive line and a third string running back. And that just wasn't happening. And um, I saw some discontent on Twitter about how trash the play calling is running the ball and all this stuff, but whatever. It's, it's, it's just about win the game. I'm sure if their priority was make sure we get to 31 so we can be in the 30s like everyone else, I'm falling asleep. It is 6.13 right now, and I am literally falling asleep in my chair. It's been a crazy life. Um, but once again, the Green Bay Packers, um, you know, eight-point favorites. They just don't generally lose these games with Matt LaFleur, and they didn't in this one. Uh, Rodgers was 27 of 35 for 274 yards, 7.8 average, three touchdowns, 26 yards was his longest throw. He took three sacks, 127.6 passer rating. Tyler Heineke, on the other hand, 25 of 37, 268 yards, 7.2 average, one touchdown, one interception, 40 yards was his longest. He had four sacks on the day, 86.3 pass rating. I had somebody ask me on the stream about the lack of pressure, and, and maybe not ask, but say that they weren't super happy with the lack of pressure. Um, I meant it when I said that um, this is one of the best offensive lines in football, despite the injuries. I mean, the guys that have come into you know sub are um, as good, if not better, have been so far. They've allowed some of the fewest pressures and sacks in the entire NFL. We got four sacks on them, and that's one of the things that's according to uh, PFF here. That's one of the things I want to check for tomorrow is how well we did um, getting pressure compared to how the rest of the NFL has done getting pressure because it's pretty impressive what they were able to do, seemingly. We'll see what the total numbers are. Uh, running the ball, again, it was a real slow day. Aaron Jones was six carries, only 19 yards, 3.2 average, nine yards was his longest. Uh, after that, you had A.J. Dillon, three carries, six yards, two yards per carry, three yards was his longest, one fumble lost. Um Sorry, getting distracted by the Bears game here. Uh, Kylan Hill, three carries, two yards, 0.7 yards per carry. Three yards was his longest. Uh, Equinemius, one carry, 13 yards. And Aaron Rodgers, two carries, 17 yards. For them, they had uh, Antonio Gibson, 14 carries, 51 yards, 3.6 average. Uh, Tyler Heineke, obviously, was the one that kind of gashed us a little bit that has a lot of people concerned because if he can do it, you know, that means... Uh, uh, what's his name? Little guy over in Arizona can do it. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but he had 10 carries, 95 yards, 9.5 average. But uh, J.D. McKissick was the only other running back that ran. Four carries, 22 yards, 5.5 average. Eight yards was his long. So, um, you know, considering Antonio Gibson was the main guy, 3.6 average, I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, receiving, the most targets was still Devontae. He had seven targets, six receptions, 76 yards, 10.9 average. Um, uh, yards per target, yards per reception, 12.7. He had a touchdown, 26 yards was his longest. Alan Lazard had his breakout game finally. Six targets, five receptions. Is he going to get a first down? Yes, he is. <laughs> 60 yards, 10 yards per target, 12 yards per reception, and a touchdown, 19 yards was his long. Robert Tunyon on the same day kind of had his big breakout. Five targets, four receptions, 63 yards, 12.6 per target, 15.8 per reception, one touchdown, had a 25-yarder as his long. 
Uh, after that, you got Aaron Jones, five targets, five receptions, 20 yards. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, three targets, three receptions, 31 yards. That's 10.3 per target. Randall Cobb, four targets, three receptions, 22 yards. I don't remember him being that mixed in, but he was, and that's cool. Uh, Equinemius, one target, no receptions. A.J. Dillon, two targets, one reception, two yards. So I guess I missed that second one that he got, but it wasn't for very many yards, so it's very forgettable. And then Kylan Hill, one target, zero receptions. I'm not going to go through everybody's for Washington, but um, Terry McLaurin obviously was the main guy. 12 targets, seven receptions, 122 yards, and a touchdown. Outside of that, the biggest they had was Ricky Seals-Jones. Tight end was kind of doing some damage there. Seven targets, six receptions, 51 yards, but obviously nobody else had touchdowns on the day. Defensively, for the Green Bay Packers, Devondre Campbell, 13 tackles. Ten of them were solo. He also had two forced fumbles on the day. That's pretty crazy. Didn't know that until right this second. Um, After that was Rashawn Gary. He's not usually super high on the tackles, but he was flying around all over the place. Uh, And then you got... Uh, Kiki and Amos and the, the usual suspects. Um, sacks, as far as PFF is concerned, and this is not always um, in line with everybody else's stats, although they're using half sacks, so I'm guessing these are stats that they're different kinds of stats. Not their usual grading type stats. Anyways, Dean Lowry, they credited with a half sack. I don't know how that, I thought he had like two sacks on the day. How did he have a half sack? Anyways, Rashawn Gary with two sacks, Kingsley Kiki with 1.5 sacks. Um, tackles for a loss, only one, Kingsley Kiki, forced fumbles, two for Devondre Campbell, one for Rashawn Gary, one for Razul Douglas. That's pretty crazy. Chandon with the one pick on the day, and then pass deflections, we had two from Amos, one from Razul Douglas, one from Chandon Sullivan, one from Darnell Savage, and one from Darnell Stokes. That is a lot of pass deflections. So, you know, again, people want to get down on the defense, and, you know, there were a decent amount of yards given up by the defense, but, I mean, just look at this, the sack production, the pass deflection production, the interception by Chandon, um, 38-3 final for that Bears game. Point is, they just, they kept showing up when it mattered. You know, they kept needing to uh, get over the hump and find a way to get a stop, and, and they did. And they, they have this whole year. That's been the big thing. And as for special teams, you had uh, Mason Crosby was one for two because of a block, three for three on extra points. Uh, Corey Bajorquez, three punts, 139 yards, 46.3 average, kick one inside the 20, which was about the most accurate punt I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, 53 yards was his long. A couple of insights for the game. Devontae Adams has fewer than 100 receiving yards in two straight games for the first time since weeks 12 through 14 of 2019. Don't like that stat, but whatever. Packers are 10-1 and in games with Robert Tunyon, where Robert Tunyon has one receiving touchdown, since, or one or more receiving touchdowns since 2020. So there's a strategy for you. Packers have scored 24-plus points in six straight games, tied for sixth longest streak in team history. That's crazy. Doesn't seem that high of a bar, but I guess you have a bad day once in a while. Devontae Adams has tied Amon Green, 56, for most games with 16-plus fantasy points among Green Bay position players since at least 1950. Green Bay did not allow a touchdown on an offensive red zone drive for the first time this season. Green Bay was the first team since at least 2000 to allow 100 red zone 100 red zone touchdown percentage in the first six games. See, they are writing these stupid, which makes me sound stupid. 100 red zone touchdown percentage, wouldn't it be 100%? Robert Tunyon's score in the third quarter was his second receiving touchdown in the last seven games. He had six touchdowns in his previous seven games. Aaron Rodgers has had 20-plus fantasy points for the 109th time in his career. All other Green Bay quarterbacks have 96 such games combined since 1950. That's pretty wild. 
Aaron Rodgers has three-plus passing touchdowns for the 77th time in his career. Next closest uh, Green Bay quarterback since 1950 is Hall of Famer Brett Favre with 63. Devontae Adams has three-plus receptions in 55 straight games, six longest streaks since at least 1950. Wow. Devontae Adams has joined Jordy Nelson as the only player with 60-plus career receiving touchdowns thrown from Aaron Rodgers. He has uh, Jordy Nelson has 65, so that's going to get broken. Packers scored on their opening drive for the 16th time since 2020, which is most in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has played against a different starting quarterback in each of his six regular season games versus Washington. Heineke, Griffin, uh, Haskins, McNabb, Cousins, and Smith. That's kind of funny. Finally, Packers have started 5-1 in each of the last three seasons, only team in NFL history. Wow. Well, they went 13-3 in the last two seasons. They started 5-1 in the last two last three seasons. So you got to like that. A couple other statistical notes for the team. Time of possession. Washington owned the time of possession. Again, part of the reason why uh, the defense deserves some kudos, but also a little bit of an excuse for the offense. 32 minutes to 27, actually almost 33 minutes compared to 27 minutes. Washington ran 70 plays compared to the Packers, 53. Uh, Total offensive yards, Washington had 430 compared to 304. Again, this is where stats get to be a little bit ridiculous. At the end of the day, it's not about stats. It's about the end line production. 10 points compared to 24 points. What is that? Points per yardage. How, how much? How badly did the Packers win that metric that I just made up? Uh, Washington had more yards per play. Both had four penalties. Interestingly enough, I already went over the, uh, the sacks and whatnot, and that the Packers had more sacks than Washington, which is impressive because, again, our pass rushers, a lot of them are injured. And they have a better offensive line than we do. Our offensive line is injured. And they have a very good defensive line, right? Maybe not in terms of sacks, but pressures, et cetera, et cetera. But they're still talented guys. If you look at sack percentage, uh, Heineke was sacked 9.8% of the time, Rogers 7.9% um, for 33 yards compared to us losing 27 yards. Total rushing yards, 195 to 57. Yards per carry, 6.7 to 3.8. A lot of that is Heineke, but still. First downs, they won 25 to 19. Uh, we won the third down efficiency, 50% to 36%, 6 of 12, they were 4 of 11. Fourth down, we were 100%, 1 of 1, they were 1 of 4. Again, it's just, it's really one of those things where, you know, between the 20s, Washington was just a better team, but when it came down to making that final play, that final big, uh, the one that mattered, Green Bay was the, the, the defense was the one that came out on top. Red zone, Packers were 2 of 4, 50%, Washington 0 for 4, so a team that, uh, had not had a single stop. Washington was 0 for 4 today. It's also worth noting that Washington didn't punt this entire game. They decided that they needed to keep their foot on the gas. So again, if we can't stop fourth downs, we're in a lot of trouble. And we did. They got one of four fourth downs, zero of four in the red zone. They were just foot on the gas all day long. Anyways, finally, I want to look at the uh, the real quick reaction that PFF has. Sometimes they give us a little bit of insight into what's what we're about to find out as far as grades and whatnot. Starting off with quarterback, it says Aaron Rodgers was as dialed in as he's been all season. He finished with a hyper-accurate 84.4% adjusted completion percentage on the day. On passes thrown 10 or more yards down the field, Rodgers finished a scintillating 9 of 11 for 152 yards and two scores. Looking at running back, it says A.J. Dillon had a rough day at the office. He fumbled twice, one on a reception and one on a fourth quarter run. If he's going to be a finisher, he was billed as when the Packers drafted him in the second round. That can't happen. And that's true. I mean, your your whole thing is you close out the game. And the only thing we can't do when you're trying to close out the game is turn over the ball. And if that's what you're doing, then you can't do your job. 
Uh, receivers and tight ends. Green Bay finally had some other receivers get involved outside of Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard hauled in five of six targets. Uh, Bob Tunyon got into the action with a catch for 63 yards and a score. Having more reliable options will only help the Packers long term. That's true, and we haven't even discussed MVS coming back. Uh, offensive line, it says the Packers offensive line has to be thanking Aaron Rodgers for being behind center because they were getting thoroughly whipped throughout the day. Pressure numbers aren't indicative of how bad it got. The lone bright spot continued to be Elton Jenkins at left tackle, who again didn't allow a pressure. Ayo, <laughs> love to see it. Defensive line, you gotta love this. It was a career day for Rashawn Gary, who made arguably the biggest play of the day for Green Bay's defense. He racked up seven pressures, including a massive sack fumble that put the Packers in prime scoring position. So these are not official numbers. I think last time they said he had six. The next day I looked, it was five. And then I think the final tally was like seven. So, But um, his pressures are going to be through the roof if he has seven more on top of that because he's just he's just stacking them at this point. Linebacker, it says, I don't know where this Devondre Campbell came from, but he's transformed this Packers defense. He notched four defensive stops on the day, including the massive goal line forced fumble. He entered week seven as the highest graded linebacker in the NFL. That won't be changing after this performance. You'd love to hear it. Finally, secondary. Chandon Sullivan had a career day on Sunday. He was targeted four times and allowed only three catches for 17 yards and a key red zone interception in the fourth quarter. Only one of those targets went for a first down. So, I mean, again, there are certain people that aren't satisfied. You got to be happy with this, man. I mean, it wasn't perfect. The offensive line, uh, A.J. Dillon, et cetera, et cetera. But come on, man. This was a good day at the office. When we get back from the break, I want to look at some of these other games to kind of, again, provide a little bit of perspective. Um, and it's not just, you know, hey, you could be a Bears fan. I mean, some of the teams that we thought were really, really good are getting beat up on, which tells you two things. Number one, those teams aren't as good as you deify them to be. We have this image in our mind that good teams are these teams that just annihilate everybody and never get beat. Secondarily, like we're hearing with Arizona, and granted, it looks like they're uh, probably closing. The, it's got to be done by now. I think they were kind of started whooping them at some point. Uh, yeah, 31 to 5. I, I said on the stream that was going to happen. Eventually, they'd pull away. But again, the point is, the idea is we can't hang with them because of look at look at how poorly we perform. Different days bring different challenges. Everybody wants to know how in the world we're going to stop, um, you know, Kyler Murray from running all over the place when we couldn't even stop Tyler Heineke. We're in, we're in serious trouble. Well, two things on that. Number one, we didn't come into this game planning to stop the run of Ky- Tyler Heineke. That wasn't the game plan. Well, three things. Number two, when you do one thing, you're taken away from another. It's a zero-sum game. If you decide we're going to play contain, that pass rush that was very productive goes bye-bye. The coverage suffers. So if we decide we're playing a little bit more contain, it's at the risk of something else, but it means we're worried about Kyler. Third thing, you haven't been looking at Kyler's stats. Dude doesn't run anywhere. I don't know what's going on, and that doesn't mean he can't or won't in some other time, but he ran for 10 yards in this game. I think the most he's run for in any game this year is like 30-something, 35 yards. Again, entirely possible he just runs for 250 yards against the Packers. But again, we just we just assume a lot of things. We know Kyler's fast, and Heineke ran for a bunch of yards. And because we underestimate the fact that Heineke's been running for more yards than Kyler Murray all year, and has actually been doing a lot of that and doing very well, which I told you on the podcast yesterday, we just assume a lot of things. Kyler's been pretty lethal from the pocket, but not as a runner. I do think today we're going to actually going to kind of peek into Arizona a little bit and start talking about that anyways. But I think I'm going to take a break right here, come back on the other side of this, look at a few of these games, kind of talk about a few of the players that maybe we haven't talked about yet, and then, uh, you know, move on to the Cardinals if time permits. 
But again, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Otherwise, tell a friend, tell a neighbor. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, so one of the things that I like to do is just kind of look over the roster, just make sure we got everybody covered. Kind of went over all the wide receivers. Uh, Alan Lazard had a pretty big, productive day. Hopefully he's able to keep that up. Um, Amari Rogers is a guy that, um, again, really would like to see more of him. I understand that he just hasn't been implemented a ton. He's on the field a lot. I see him moving around. They're just not really giving him the targets. But again, the one time we saw him, I thought he did a really good job, and eventually they're going to they're gonna start hammering that a little bit. He must just not be exactly where he needs to be. But the fact that they're putting him on the field means there's some level of trust there, especially with him being so in line. He's going to have to do some kind of blocking once in a while. So he's doing something that they like. Um, offensive line, you know, again, kind of got whooped on. The pat, the pass blocking wasn't super great outside of Elton Jenkins, apparently. And um, the run blocking from top to bottom was just terrible. And and it just it does need to get better. I mean, excuses aside, it's going to be hard to win games if you can't run the ball. And, and that level of balanced attack does need to be there. Now, again, granted, I think this was just kind of the game plan coming in. Aaron Rodgers is just going to throw the ball a lot because, I mean, Washington has a good defensive line and nothing else, like I said. So we should have some ability to throw to guys like Tunyon against these linebackers, throw to the wide receivers against these terrible corners, and even once in a while attack these subpar safeties. And that's what they did. 
again, it's we, we can't always take everything as it is and apply it to next week because next week is a different game plan. You can't say, well, we had no success running the ball when the game plan was we're not going to run the ball very much. They don't commit to it. And, and with the Packers especially, they always start off slow. And after, you know, the 12th, 13th carry, they start picking up some big yardage. A.J. Dillon touched the ball three times. Um, tight ends, don't forget about Mercedes Lewis. Tunyon kind of stole the show, but Mercedes looked great again. I don't know if he's going to be around 90 again, but he had a heck of a day. Probably going to come down to his blocking because the receiving again was on point and the breaking tackles was on point. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I thought, looked fantastic last week. There was a lot of concern about just not being super accurate and kind of being a little iffy with some of his throws, but um, I thought the, the passing was definitely on point. And the biggest thing with Rodgers is just how happy he looked. The only time I saw him get angry the entire game. What the heck was that? Oh, it was a legal man down the field on like a screenplay, which didn't end up getting, I think, completed or anything anyway, so it wasn't going to go anywhere. But Rogers like charged over to talk to the ref to find out what the penalty was. And as soon as he found out, when the announcer started calling it, you can hear him screaming and swearing. But otherwise, I mean, there were other bad plays. Um, even like Randall jumping off sides and then tries to go in motion. He was laughing about it. Every time he got sacked, for the most part, he was laughing about it. I think maybe the first one he kind of chucked the football seemed frustrated. But, I mean, he was just smiling the whole game. So pretty unusual. I mean, Rodgers, I mean, he does the smiling thing, but when things aren't good, he's frustrated. It seemed like even when he was correcting people, he was just kind of smiling about stuff. Defensive line, I thought, did great. Dean did a great job. Again, I don't know on a play-to-play basis, but we saw Dean show up. We saw Kingsley Kiki show up. Uh, Kenny, I didn't really see, but he's always there. Slayton had the big uh, bear paw to knock down that three-point uh, field goal. That was a thing of beauty. Uh, we talked about Rashawn Gary. I thought Whitney Merciless did a really good job. Whitney Merciless was interesting, first of all, because it seems to me as though they made him the number two guy. In critical situations, it was usually Rashawn Gary and Whitney Merciless. Um, so they didn't put him behind um, guys like Garvin, which I thought maybe they would do. You know, he doesn't have as much experience, so it would be mostly Rashawn and Garvin. I think they started out that way. When the game started, I saw Gary and Garvin, and I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But as the day went on, uh, Merciless kind of took over and was out there with Rashawn more often than not. And I thought he did a good job. He almost got to the quarterback several times. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of those count as pressures, but we'll see. And um, just all in all, I really liked it. Uh, We'll save that comment for later. But uh, linebackers Devondre was fantastic. I actually liked Jalen Smith today. He still seems a little jittery and not exactly sure what to do, but the speed is so evident. Um, I saw him come on a blitz and nearly got a a, a hit on the quarterback, a sack, but the ball came out too quick. It looks like he's a little bit more sure of where he needs to be and kind of directing that wild energy in in a certain direction that just kind of makes sense. rest of the linebackers, I didn't really notice a ton. Corners, I was extremely happy with. Um, You know, Eric Stokes kind of got picked on again a little bit with a, a couple passes here and there. But um, he was up against the, the Terry McLaurin, who, again, is a you know top 15-ish type of wide receiver. Um, very, very talented. And again, even when he gives one up, he gave up that touchdown, which is frustrating. You know, It's one of those things where the ball was underthrown. Had he done like Sullivan, maybe he could have realized it was underthrown, kind of turned his head, saw the ball, been able to make a play on it, instead of kind of just charging into the receiver, flailing your arm around, hoping you get lucky. But again, even when he makes mistakes, he comes back and he kind of redeems himself. He got some clutch pass breakups. He's been real clutch in those situations, coming up with those third down, fourth down pass breakups. Brazil Douglas has been locked down since he got here, which is truly incredible. And Chandon Sullivan these last couple weeks has been a premier corner, seemingly, in the NFL. I don't know where that came from. He's always been solid, but he went from solid to, like, this guy is really good. Now, granted, 
he was largely going up against their slot guy, who I mentioned is one of the worst in football. But this is like two weeks in a row for him. And he's been playing real good ball, um, not just being in the right spot and um, not getting the ball thrown his way, but pass breakups and interceptions also. Safeties, I thought, did good outside of Henry Black, who's been struggling quite a bit when he has to be out there. Amos was solid. Another guy with a big uh, fourth down, red zone, touchdown, pass breakup. Uh, Savage is a little bit more up and down. Couple, He's more like Eric Stokes. A couple times you wish he could just do the right thing. You know, that easy fumble recovery that he kind of just flopped on in a weird way that pushed the ball out. A um, couple other plays where you just kind of wish he could do slightly better, but then he, again, like Stokes, shows up and makes a big play. He's real big on those high-pointed balls. You know, the ball's thrown up real high, and he comes flying out of nowhere and just smokes the guy and knocks the ball out. He's done that numerous times. That's like his calling card. And special teams, I actually thought was fairly good. I mean, there was the one block, which was rough. Uh, Bohorquez was fantastic. He, you know, boomed the one out of the end zone with pressure all up in his face. Got the one down, I mean, basically all but touching. He touched the blade of grass that was right in front of the painted blade of grass. That's what he did with that punt. Not only that, I thought the kick coverage was pretty solid. I mean, the I don't, I don't know about all of them, but toward, let's say, after the first one or two, because I don't really remember... I started noticing that he wasn't getting back to the 25. It was close, but every time he took it out, it was he was down around the 23 every time. So that's all I really ask. Even if he gets to the 25, whatever. But they were able to stop him short every single time. So that was that was awesome. The only other point I wanted to make about this, and it's pretty self-evident, but it needs to be said anyways, the quality of this team, as high as it is with all the injuries, is remarkable. What kind of a performance would this team have had if we were at full strength? If we had Bakhtiari and um, Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins, who I know played, but again, just they're all healthy. And if we had MVS as that speed threat on the outside. Think about our pass rushers with Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, and Whitney Merciless as our four pass rushers. Basically, you could have a situation where our top two guys, let's just say, are Rashawn and Zadarius, and they're getting a rest, and we're putting our number two guys out there, and it's Preston and Whitney Merciless. That's incredible. Our linebackers are Devondre Campbell and an ascending Jalen Smith. More on that in a second. Defensive line is Kenny Clark with a a couple guys around him that are just making plays. Slayton's making plays. Lancaster occasionally will make plays. Lowry and Kiki made plays in this game. Our corners right now, the, the biggest issue I have is when King and Jair come back, if and when, who goes where? I know everybody's gonna say King just stays on the bench. I get that. Fine. Let's just assume that, even though I don't know that that's a certainty. Where does Jair go? Who does he replace? Do we, does he replace Razul Douglas? I'm assuming he does. But that kind of sucks. He's been lights out. Does he replace Eric Stokes? That doesn't seem great. I mean, it's an upgrade, no question. But I don't like it. You put him in the slot over Chandon Sullivan? No. But it's a great group. And again, we still got Savage and Amos out there. And so the point is, another thing that... Um, kind of came up is, is the Arizona game. And I started thinking, you know, wh- what does it really matter all that much? And I don't, I don't mean to downplay it because I'm expecting a loss or anything like that. But really, in reality, really reality. But let's just say they lose. And let's say they lose big. Because that, that was another comment that came up. I don't mind if they lose. Just make it competitive. Let's say they do lose big. What does that tell us about Week 17? If we assume we're going to get a lot of those guys that I mentioned back and be healthy, and, and obviously there's going to be other injuries that pop up, and some of these guys might not come back. Even so, what does that tell us about the state of how well they're playing? This team continues to get better in certain elements of their game, aside from being undefeated the last six weeks in a row. They're still getting better. 
What does that tell us about the ascension of guys like Eric Stokes? How much do we know? I mean, three weeks ago, did we know anything about Whitney Merciless or Razul Douglas? I had no expectations about guys like Devondre Campbell. Amari Rogers, we don't know what he'll be come week 16, 17, 18, 19. I've mentioned it before, but you never know, you know who's going to be that guy that breaks out in the second half of the year like we had with Kenny Clark and Amos and Savage. Could Kingsley Kiki be that guy? Jalen Smith be that guy? Could Whitney Merciless be that guy? Could Amari Rogers or Alan Lazard? So the point is, I, I want them to beat Arizona, but in the grand scheme of things, unless the concern is they're not going to have enough wins to get into the playoffs, the real question is what team are they going to be when that time rolls around? And, and again, they've got the biggest component, which is that grit factor. They've got that. What they need is to, to continue to grow and get better than they are, essentially. And so what we're talking about with Arizona is have they grown and gotten better fast enough to be able to beat Arizona at this point in the season? And probably they're not going to be favorites in this game. And that's understandable. And they may lose the game. But again, if they do, it doesn't really tell us about where they'll be at the latter point of the season when the playoffs come around. So um, I'm hoping for the best. Excited to dig into this Arizona team. I was planning on doing it today, but things are a little crazy upstairs. Family just got home, and I'm feeling bad that I'm not helping my wife as the kids melt down. So I think I'm going to close it out there. We are going to start going pretty hard and heavy after the Arizona Cardinals here. Um, But as for tonight, I'm going to call it a day. You folks have yourselves a fantastic night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.